0: this uh, good number here this morning. I sort of anticipated, and though I do not know for sure, but I anticipate there might be some visitors here today because, as Brother Bobby mentioned, it is Mother's Day, and I know that uh, in some places there are those that will come and attend the services with their mother, or maybe come back to the place where their mother worshipped, and if you're doing that today, we're grateful for your presence, whatever the reason is that you're here, if you're a member of this congregation and regularly attend, we're glad you're here. While we are always glad to have visitors, we don't want to overlook the members and the effort that you put forth to be here regularly and faithfully, and so we're glad for your presence no matter the reason you might be here. You honor us today by extending the invitation for me to come and be with you, and if you're visiting, you honor this congregation by coming. But may I remind all of us that the highest honor is that God is allowing us today to enter into his presence to worship him. We don't ever want to forget, folks, that when we assemble like this, we can't help but be aware of everybody else that we see around us that's present. We don't ever want to forget that what we're doing here today is worshiping God. We're not trying to entertain ourselves, though we enjoy the worship, but we're here to honor him. And that's the primary purpose for which we come. And we're glad you've chosen to so do with this congregation uh, this morning. Hope you'll be back at uh, 2 o'clock and uh, tomorrow night at 7 and Wednesday uh, through Wednesday night if at all possible. I do want to wish all of the mothers here a happy Mother's Day. I called my mother and mother-in-law this morning to wish them a happy Mother's Day. I started... Uh, Uh, As I mentioned in Bible class, when my dad uh, got worse with his Alzheimer's, I started going every Thursday morning, driving about two to two and a half hours down to their place just south of Fedville to help her do some things around the house, mow the yard and such, and even though he passed away in November of 2008, I still go about every other week and see her, and I was down there Thursday and spent the day and mowed the yard and weed eat it and such, and took her out to supper for Mother's Day, since I couldn't be there today, and so I know what it means to honor Mother, and we certainly want to do that today. It is the design and the desire of God that every one of us here today go to heaven, and in fact, that every person who ever has or ever will live, go to heaven. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, Paul says of God that he would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. If it is the case that this congregation is indeed and in truth a congregation of the Lord's church, then it is the desire and the design of this congregation to engage in its efforts, not only to serve and honor God, but also to help the lost to be saved. That is why the preaching of the gospel is done to be done. That is why in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Because it is by the knowledge of the truth that one is made free from sin, John 8, 32. It is the desire of Jesus Christ that you and I be saved, because he came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke nineteen ten. But, sadly, we have to acknowledge that the Bible teaches and shows us that everybody is not going to be saved in spite of the fact that that is God's desire and the design of the scheme of redemption, the gospel. Everybody is not going to be saved. Now, I don't know how it is, as I, because I'm a visitor here among you, I don't know how it is here, but I know that all across this good land today and many parts of the world... There will be congregations like this one that meet together, and there will be in some of those, if not all of them, people who need to respond to obey the gospel to become a Christian or to obey the gospel to be restored and be a Christian. And sometimes when you have a gospel meeting such as this, people will look back over it and they'll say, or maybe even a regular assembly, they'll look back over it and say, I wonder why so-and-so didn't respond. Occasionally people will come out of the assembly and shake the preacher's hand and they'll say, Preacher, I don't know what kept people from responding today. That, that lesson should have surely prompted somebody to respond. Well, I want us this morning to think about why it is that some people do not obey the gospel. If you have not been baptized as a penitent believer, confessing your faith in Christ, why haven't you done it? That may be that you say, I I don't know that that's what I need to do. Would you let somebody here know and a time can be set up to sit down and study with you and talk with you and uh, open the Bible and study the Bible to show what needs to be done in order to be saved. Those things we just mentioned. Or it may be that there's somebody in this assembly that, that has obeyed the gospel but is not faithful. You know it. The congregation knows it. Why haven't you done anything about it? Sometimes people say, well, I'm going to one of these days. Hell will be littered with souls that had that thought. I, I'm, I was going to do something about it one of these days. But life is so uncertain and brief. And who knows where, when, or how it will end. Young or old, whatever our condition may be. Sometimes people say, "Well, he's waiting on his wife, or she's waiting on her husband." There are any number of reasons that might be given why some people do not obey the gospel. But many times those just barely scratch the surface. The text of our reading this morning, Matthew sixteen twenty-four, tells us some reasons why people do not obey the gospel. It's also recorded in Mark chapter eight in verse thirty-four and Luke chapter nine in verse twenty-three where Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and come and follow me. I set before you this morning some reasons from that text that Jesus, perhaps secondarily, in other words, this wasn't the primary reason for making this statement, but secondarily, he shows us some reasons why people do not obey the gospel. And the very first one is, because they do not want to. He said, if any man will come after me. I know that there are many factors that can enter in on the why a person doesn't want to, the the poor example that they see in some Christians, but as we're going to talk about later on in the course of this meeting, in one of the lessons of the meeting, you know, there are also many good examples. For really we bad example that you can point to in this congregation or any other, I could point to you to a dozen other good examples that are setting the right kind of example. But there are any number of factors why people say they, they don't want to, but that's the bottom line. I don't want to. Would that be the case with anybody here today? I haven't obeyed the gospel yet. I haven't been restored to my first love because I really just don't want to. Again, in John chapter 7 and verse 17, Jesus said, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine whether I speak of myself or of God. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus was engaged again in conversation with people. And on that occasion to the Jewish leaders, he said, Search the scriptures. Talking about the Old Testament. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. That's verse 39. And then in verse 40 he says, And you will not come unto me that you might have life. Now Jesus was not in any way being critical or ridiculing or mocking the idea of studying our Bibles. The problem was that the Jews had divorced the scriptures from the Messiah. They thought that because they had the Old Testament and because they were the fleshly descendants of Abraham, their ticket to heaven was punched. They didn't need anything else or anybody else. And consequently, they were not looking for a savior of their soul. The kind of Messiah they wanted was the kind of Messiah that would deliver them from the rule of any other country or any other government. And consequently, they wanted a fleshly kingdom. Remember, Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. Even his own disciples, those men, would be his apostles prior to the time that he ascended back to heaven. Immediately prior to that, in Acts chapter 1, they asked Jesus, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They'd fallen into that fallacy as well. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to come, that was going to restore Israel, the nation of Israel, to its glory days like during the time of David and Solomon. And that's not the reason Jesus came into the world. And so he tells them, search the Scriptures. Not because they didn't know the Scriptures, but because they did not see how in the Old Testament there was the fulfillment that Jesus was living before them right then. And because they didn't see it, he said, you will not come unto me. There are people who do not obey the gospel because they simply do not want to. The late brother V.E. Howard many, many years ago used to say, give me a man that wants to obey the gospel and I'll baptize him in 15 minutes. Now that may have been an exaggeration for emphasis sake, but the point is still true. When a man or a woman or a young man or a young lady of the age of accountability really wants to do what's right, it's not all that hard to open the Bible and show them what to do and find people ready to render that kind of obedience. Would that describe you this morning? Above all else, laying aside all of the In insignificant matters of life, do you want to go to heaven more than anything in this world? If that is your attitude and my attitude, then it will not be hard for us to learn what to do to go to heaven. It will not be hard for us to learn what to do to be saved and live the kind of life that pleases God. It's a matter of wanting to. That's why Jesus said, if any man will. It has always been that way. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, in what has been called the great invitation, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But you see, here's where the problem comes in so many times. People are living life, everything is going well, like those Jews of old, they didn't believe they needed saving. And there are people today who labor under that same delusion. I don't really need to be saved. At least I don't need to be saved right now. And from a spiritual standpoint, people treat their soul just like people treat their body. How many people do you know who have to get nearly deathly ill before they'll go to the doctor? They have to be convinced in their mind that their home remedies and their doctoring and nursing of themselves is finally not going to work and they finally give in and go to the doctor. People do that with their soul. So they don't believe they are burdened with sin. And hence, they don't believe they need the rest that Jesus promises. If you want to see a good picture of what sin does to the soul and the life of an individual, turn back and read the first chapter of the book of Exodus, where after approximately 400 years, or nearly 400 years, the Israelites had been in Egypt, and they are now slaves to the Egyptian authorities under Pharaoh. And your Bible says that their slavery was such that Pharaoh and the Egyptians made their lives bitter. That's what sin does. Because sin is depicted as bondage. But unfortunately there are people who do not obey the gospel because they don't want to. And may I remind all of us who are trying to live right and trying to encourage those that we love and for whom we care to render obedience and to be faithful to the Lord that when we have done all we know to do and all we can do, that's what it comes down to eventually. A person has to want to. When our children were small, they had no choice. We took them to the services. I was talking to my daughter Friday night as we anticipate the birth of her son, our first grandson, this coming Thursday. And I was mentioning to her, I said, you have grown up in a home where you've never known a time that you did not attend the services of the church. I did not grow up in a home like that. I don't have that memory. But from her earliest... Memories in life, she's never on a time when she did not attend the services. But you know now she's married and she's out on her own and she can choose not to go if she so chooses. If that's her want to, that's what she can do. And I was trying to impress upon her the importance of setting that example and bringing up our grandson so hopefully he'll be able to look back on life if he lives when he is her age or mine and say as she can say, I never knew a time as a boy growing up we did not attend the services. I never knew a time growing up when mom and daddy both did not take us and go. That's a great memory to have if you have that today. But now that being true, are you still faithful? Are you still going? People don't go. People don't obey the gospel because they don't want to. But Notice in the second place that another reason why people do not obey the gospel is because they are unwilling to deny themselves. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now you know or should know that the basic problem of sin with every person is self. It is the enthronement of self as opposed to the enthronement of God in our hearts. What was the problem that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden? We'll study and talk a little bit about that this afternoon at 2 o'clock, Lord willing. But that was the problem. You remember the serpent came into the garden and he tempted Eve by saying that God has forbidden you to eat of that forbidden fruit because he knows that in the day you eat of that fruit, you will know good from evil, you will be like God. She seeing the benefits of that fruit, that it was pleasant to the eye, good for food, and to be desired to make one wise, took and did eat and gave to her husband and he ate. The appeal that the devil made through that serpent, through the form of a serpent, was the appeal to self. To exalt and enthrone self, to be like God. And we want to be like God, but not in the enthronement of self. Rather, in the enthronement of God upon our hearts so that we mold our character and our conduct after God's character and His conduct. And that's why in our prayer today it was mentioned that we want God to forgive us like we forgive others. We want to be forgiving like God is forgiving. And God in turn responds to that. But that was the problem that Adam and Eve had, the enthronement of self. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, James says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But now listen how he describes the evolution of sin, if you will. He says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, And then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There are certain sins that are common to all of us, but there are some sins that are a temptation to some that are not a temptation to others. I have never had the desire to drink alcoholic beverages. That's not a temptation to me. Now, I don't make it a habit of being around that kind of thing, Uh, even though I do go in restaurants where it's served and and shop in grocery stores where it's sold. But I don't make it a habit of attending parties and get-togethers and such where that kind of thing is done. But on those occasions when I find myself in such establishments, it's not a temptation to me. But that might not be true of everybody here. There might be some who would be so tempted. I don't go to Florida very often. I don't go to places where there's a beach and so forth very often. But when I'm in places like that, it is not a temptation to me to put on scant clothing and go out and walk along the beach. That's not a temptation to me. That may not be true of everybody here. It's not a temptation to me to go out and get my bathing suit on if I could find it. And go out to the local pool and lay around by the side of the pool. That's not a temptation to me. That might not be true of everybody here. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. The devil works on each of us individually, and he caters to our own lust, and he picks and he probes, finding out what that is, and when he has found what your lust is, what your desire is, he uses that to dangle it before you, to lure you into satisfying and fulfilling that lust in a way that is unscriptural and sinful. If it can be fulfilled at all, without so doing. Whether it is the Appetite for food or drink or the sexual appetite or whatever it is. And the devil picks and probes. And the reason some people never obey the gospel is because they are unwilling to ever look at anything in the world and say, I can't do that. I can't have that. To deny themselves. They're simply not willing to make that sacrifice. Luke chapter 15, you'll remember that the prodigal son, or the one we call the prodigal son, went off into the far country of sin, having received from his father that portion of inheritance fell to him. There he wasted his substance in riotous living. There began to be a famine in the land. He was in want. He went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him out into his field to feed swine. Notice the change in that young man came to his father first of all and he said, Give me that portion of goods that falleth to me. When he came home, he said, Make me as one of your hired servants. He wouldn't deny himself the passions and the pleasures that the far country offered. But when he was in that hog pen as it was, as it were, so hungry he would have eaten of the hush that the swine did eat. He thought about home. And he's now ready to deny himself. And unfortunately, there are some people, though, that are not willing to do that. Then notice in the third place. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. There are those that are unwilling to endure the hardships. I mentioned in Bible class this morning that it seems to me that we have become a nation somewhat that is spoiled. Not very many young people grow up nowadays knowing what it is to live on and work on a farm, to have to work that kind of hard manual labor. And consequently, we've gotten a little bit spoiled. We're used to the many of the conveniences of life, fast food, and, and so many things that, that are intended to make life better, and they do. But along the way, in some instances, we've lost some things and we've gotten spoiled. And consequently, everybody wants something to be done about our country's condition, our national debt. But very few people are willing to make the sacrifices needed to bring that about. As someone said, everybody wants progress, it's the change we don't like. That's also true in the church. It's also true in the Christian life. If we could go out and preach the kind of gospel, and it really wouldn't be the gospel. But if we could go out and preach the kind of message that would say to people, if you become a Christian, all of your problems will be solved. You won't ever have to make another sacrifice. You won't ever have to suffer. You'll never be sick again. I heard a man on television one time say that ever since he had become a Christian, and he hadn't because he didn't obey the gospel, but he said ever since he'd become a Christian, he hadn't even had a bad cold. Misapplying Isaiah 53, where prophetically Isaiah saw how the Lord would lay on Jesus the infirmities of us all. He wasn't talking about our physical health. He's talking about our the sickness of our soul. But if we could promise people that, we could fill this house double and triple because people would come from far and near to have that kind of Christianity. But unfortunately, the Bible shows us that if you are a Christian, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble anyway. But you're going to have some problems because you are a Christian. Listen, folks, when Jesus said, take up the cross, he was not talking about the problems that come to us because of life. He wasn't talking about dealing with physical illness like Alzheimer's or cancer or heart disease or whatever it may be because those things come to people whether they are Christians or not. Taking up the cross means an attitude and disposition that is willing to suffer whatever we must suffer because we are Christians. And So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15, Most gladly therefore will I spend and be spent, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. Can we not on this day when we are endeavoring to honor mothers see the beauty of that passage more clearly than maybe we have at other times? Doesn't that depict a mother's love? Mama will love us and sacrifice for us in spite of the fact that we often don't show her the gratitude except one day out of the year. Now if you want to get my dander up, then you be a young man especially, or a young lady even, and you sash your mama. Boy, that bothers me. A woman who went down to death's door, as it were, to bring you into the world, and then you treat her like a dog? And talk to her like she's an animal? Of course, the other side of that is, mamas and daddies that allow that are getting what they deserve. Because it ought not be tolerated. But surely we can see how the Apostle Paul is describing Christianity. Most gladly therefore will I spend and be spent. Though the more I love you the less you love me. And yet he would keep right on doing it. That's bearing your cross. Revelation 2.10 Jesus said to the church there. that Some of you will suffer tribulation. Some of you will be cast into prison. Fear none of those things. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And being faithful unto death, as I'm sure you have been taught and told many times, does not mean be faithful till the day you die, though that's part of it. It means be faithful even if they kill you. Jesus said those words at a time and to a church where physical persecution was a reality. Christians were having their heads cut off. They were being fed to the lions. They were being burnt. uh, They were being coated with tar and burnt at the stake for their faith in Christ. And Jesus says, even if they do those things to you, you still be faithful. And I like to think about James, for example, in Acts 12, who was beheaded for his faith. And I often think about what was the first thing that crossed James' mind when he stepped into eternity it was worth it. What if he had denied Jesus to escape the executioner? What if he had been like Judas? It would not be worth it. Some people are unwilling to suffer any inconvenience, any hardship. You ever had anybody leave a building maybe on a Sunday morning said say, I won't be back tonight. It's so hot in that building I couldn't hardly stand it. I don't want to be uncomfortable to worship God. Or maybe they say it's too cold. I don't want to suffer any inconvenience. I will serve God only if and when all of the conditions are exactly right the way I want them. And folks, that's not Christianity. If you're waiting for everything to be exactly right, you'll wait till eternity and be lost. Some people don't obey the gospel because they're unwilling to endure any privation, any hardship, any difficulty. They're afraid if they obey the gospel and word gets back out at school, somebody will make fun of them. Or if they obey the gospel and go into work and somebody learns that they're trying to be the Christian life, they might mock them, ridicule them. And they never do obey the gospel because of that. And then last of all and quickly, because they're unwilling to make Jesus their Lord. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He leads, we follow. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. Now, listen to verse 28, which is often used to teach the false doctrine of once saved, always saved. Jesus says, No man can pluck them out of my hand. They'll never perish. Well, why is that true? Because they hear his voice and they follow him. And as long as they're hearing his voice and following him, the devil cannot muster an army large enough or strong enough to pluck them out of Jesus' hand. But you know, sheep can wander off. They can stop following their shepherds. But as long as we make Jesus our Lord, we can make Him our Savior. He can't be our Savior if we won't let Him be our Lord. Luke 6, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? But some people are unwilling to yield. You know anybody that's rebellious, irreverent, disrespectful toward authority? That has the attitude that says, in essence, Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Listen, folks, it's not a question of whether or not you're a servant. Every one of us in this assembly today that are accountable are servants. The only thing at issue is who we're going to serve. In Romans 6:16, 6, uh, rather Paul said, "Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey His servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness?" You and I are servants. The only thing at issue is, who's our master? And unfortunately, some do not obey the gospel because they are unwilling to let Jesus be their Lord and master. In John 13, after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he said, You call me Lord and master, and you say, well, for so am I. He is. Before he ascended back to heaven he said all authority has been given unto me under heaven and earth. Now the writer of Hebrews says that being the case. But he says we do not yet see all things put under him. Why? Because not everybody submits to his authority. But it's been given to him. And he is to be our Lord. And if I'm ever going to go to heaven. First of all I've got to want to. Nobody goes to heaven by accident i go to heaven because I want to. It takes a great deal of determination and resolve. I'll go to heaven because I am willing to deny myself. Jesus had to do that as he walked this earth. He said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him that sent me, John 6:38. In the garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, he prayed, Let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So like Jesus, I've got to be willing to take my cross voluntarily, sacrificially, endure whatever hardship and suffering there may be that can come, and it will be worth it. Paul said in Romans 8.18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. If somehow or other you could be called upon or I could be called upon to make sacrifices nobody else in this world has ever been called upon to make, to be a faithful child of God, when we step into eternity, you know what we'll do? We'll rejoice. And we'll know it was worth it. And let Jesus be our Lord. Do what He says. To have a not my will, but Thy will be done disposition of heart and mind. And whatever He requires us to do, to be willing to submit and do it. Have you obeyed the Gospel? Do you need to be baptized this morning? As a penitent believer confessing your faith, and you haven't done it, is it because you don't want to? Is it because you're not willing to deny yourself? Or suffer any kind of hardship or inconvenience? Or make Jesus your Lord? Won't you change that this morning? won't you repent of that attitude and disposition and lovingly, willingly yield your will to the will of God who wants to save you and showed it by sending His Son to die at Calvary. If you're a child of God and you know you're not faithful to the Lord, why aren't you? Because you don't want to? Because there are other things that come up in life that you prefer over the spiritual because you're not willing to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced or suffer for the name of Jesus or really make Jesus your Lord. Won't you change that this morning? Repent. Confess those things that are amiss in your life. If you've sinned in a public way, you need to let this church know of your repentance. 1 John 5.16 If a man sins a sin not unto death, If he sees his brother sin a sin not unto death, he shall ask and the Lord shall give him life. What's a sin not unto death? Sin of which one will repent. And you need to do that. You can't make your soul right without letting your brethren know of your repentance if they know of your sin. Won't you do that this morning? Well, we hope that you will. The Lord wants to save us all. He's waiting on our response to His love and affection. If you need to come, will you, while we stand together?